Hi, Josh. Somebody just sent me a link about how to turn off the recording in progress button, but I haven't used it yet. They sent me the information about how to turn it off. Hi, Jonathan. Okay, and just uh, if I haven't said this, which I haven't, I'm Eugene Cash. This is a Sunday evening meeting of San Francisco Insight. We'll sit for a half an hour, then there'll be a talk and discussion. So please uh, put your body in a position that works for you to begin to meditate. and scan your body to see if there's anything that needs to be put in alignment so that you're in balance from left to right, front to center. And if there's any extra tension or holding anywhere, please, if it's easy, let that relax. And you can gently scan your body with awareness, starting at the top of the head and just feeling the body, sensing the body and becoming aware of it, seeing what's relaxed, what's not. And you have the option if you can very easily help this process to like let your eyes relax in their sockets. or let your jaw relax. Of course, your shoulders do not need to be held at all. And letting the torso be at ease. And letting the arms and legs simply relax, however they're positioned. 
and as you begin to land here in your body, aware of your body, you're aware of the fact that the body is breathing, it's alive. Often the breath is very simple, subtle. And you can be aware of it at a certain part of the body. Or you can be aware of the whole body as it breathes. Being aware, feeling, sensing your body begins to establish an embodied awareness. And for a little bit, make that the most important thing that's happening here is simply being aware of your body the aliveness that's here as you breathe.
And if you're settled, you have an option. You can stay with the body, breathing, the aliveness that's here. Or you can expand the space of awareness and just be aware of whatever's predominant in your experience. Whatever part of being alive is predominant, whether it's sounds or smells or tastes or touch, sensations, thoughts, feelings, whatever appears, whatever is alive in this moment, being aware of whatever is here, not enchanted by it or mesmerized by it, but aware of it. Aware of how the sounds just come if I speak or if your body makes some sounds or if there's sounds in the room or the house that you're in. Or that emotions just do themselves. You may feel happy or sad or anxious or angry and they just come all on its own, all on their own. Or you might be aware of thoughts about the past or the future or how the meditation is going or not going. And you don't do the thoughts, they just do themselves. And you can be aware of them rather than just identified with them. Either way, staying very mindful, very present, moment by moment by moment of the body and the body breathing or whatever is predominant in the space of awareness as we sit here.
Somebody from the board usually has something to say now. Okay. I I will speak about Donna. We were having a little chat about who was going to speak about Donna. Uh, Good evening, everybody. I think I I know most of you by now. My name is Nina Gold, and I'm one of your board members. And I'm going to say a little bit about Donna. Uh, So Donna is the Pali word for generosity. And it's really a foundational teaching in Buddhism. In fact, it's said that um, the activation and cultivation of Donna was the first teachings that the Buddha gave to lay people. And it's really a, it's a quality, um, I think of it, I feel it as a heart opening quality. So this act of giving um, is a giving from the heart and it benefits the recipient, but it also benefits the one who's doing the giving. And uh, just a little story I'll share about that. My father, who's 97, discovered something about Donna a few years ago. Uh, He suffers from loneliness. And he discovered that if he made his way to Chinatown from his apartment, he could buy a bunch of bananas. And then on the way home, he could give them away to people that he met on the Muni or on the street. And that when he would get home, he would call me and he would be happy. So that to me is the spirit of of Donna, how it gives to the receiver and the giver. So in this practice, the teachings are given uh, in in this tradition of Donna, they're given without a price uh, attached. And um, by being here, you can offer your dana through your presence, how you listen, how you show up, and you can also support the life of the sangha by offering a financial uh, offering if that's available to you. And I'll put a link in the chat. So thank you for being here. You're muted, Eugene. Yeah, I know. I've got a problem with my computer. How can we support you with our Donna right now? <laughs> by by being patient. <laughs> That's all. It's it's done. Could you hear that music? You couldn't hear it. Yeah, all of a sudden my computer's doing all kinds of strange things tonight. So it started playing this music while you were talking. I heard a bell and I thought, oh, Nina's ending with a bell now. And and then this music started. So anyhow, hi everybody. Um, good to see you all. Um, 
the talk tonight. I, if you noticed, I posted it. It's about 9-11. And if you noticed, yesterday was 9-11, the anniversary of the um, uh, what's the terrorist attack on the United States from 20 years ago. And um, I think anybody here not remember 9-11? I mean, is that possible? Or, or anybody here young enough so you don't remember it, which doesn't look like most of you are. Do you remember? And somebody shook their head. KT, you remember? Yeah, okay. Yeah, so, you know, it was a big deal, 9-11, what happened. And, uh, and so I was thinking, reflecting on it yesterday about and giving this talk about 9-11 and what happened. And um, I was thinking many different things. One is I was thinking, where were you when 9-11 happened? Do you remember where you were, where, where you were when you heard about it? And uh, how did it impact you then? And how does it impact you now? And so I've got a bunch of questions for you just to consider what was your response when you heard about it? And what's your response to it now? Is the response the same or different from 20 years ago or now? And how do you understand what happened and why it happened? And of course, how did you understand it then? And how do you understand it now? <clears throat> and how do you understand it in terms of the Dharma, in terms of meditation and spiritual practice? And how do you understand the dukkha, the suffering the, of, of uh, 9-11? And how do you understand the wisdom of 9-11? And so I'll speak a little about some of these questions I'm bringing up. And I remembered, so when I think about 9-11, I think about where I was and what happened and how I heard about it. And I got a phone call from my friend who many of you know, who teaches here, Frank Ostaseski. And Frank said, turn on the TV, we're being attacked. And so I turned on the TV and, and watched what was happening and what happened in New York with the Twin Towers coming down and and then the not knowing what else was happening and what was going to happen. And, um, and I was trying to understand what was happening very quickly. And of course, when I started to hear who the attacks were attributed to, it, it made more sense to me what was happening. It, it was clear to me, oh, we offended some people. We threatened some people, actually killed many people. And in their traditions, they, and in, from their cultures, they were responding. And um, actually, I read a lot today about Osama bin Laden and how he was quite a wealthy man who became radicalized by the... Um, by the interventions of other countries in his country and culture. And so first he was actually fighting against the Russians for quite a while. 
and he was fighting against them in many different ways because they uh, had invaded uh, Afghanistan. And, um, and, um, and the US actually supported him for quite a while in what he was doing, which I didn't know that until I read that this today uh, in what he was doing. And then uh, he and then he turned against the U.S., especially with our involvement in, in Iraq, and then also with our alignment with the Saudis, who he was not happy about that. He was not happy about their government and the fact their government also was the uh, protector of some of the holiest places in Islam. And the U.S. was starting to set up military bases in Saudi Arabia. And he didn't want foreign presence in the world of his culture and his religion. And um, so at the time, though, I was trying to understand what happened. And, and I got it. You know, it made sense. We throw, we as Americans, as a military might, which we really were, especially after World War II, we're the most powerful country in the world, we would throw our, our might around and we believed we had the right to do it. So in some way, after, and this is a few days after 9-11 happened, it was clear to me, it was, I wasn't surprised anymore. I was really surprised at first because we hadn't been attacked on our land uh, except for, you could say, Pearl Harbor, which technically wasn't even our land. We'd, we'd occupied that land. And then also into some, something 1841, some war back then where we'd been invaded. And, um, but we hadn't, that hadn't happened in a long time for us. And, and the experience of 9-11 changed our world totally. It was, it's been a whole new world since 9-11 because we felt threatened and we were scared and we had a, a, a right to be scared because people had been scared of us for a long time. And now they were coming back, which is what people, animals do when they're threatened. They, they flee or they fight. And so we got people have fled from us and also now we're fighting with us. And it changed our world culturally because of the Islamophobia that was seeded because 9-11 was committed by Muslims. And, and so we shifted our othering instead of communists who we hated now we were hating Muslims, right? And they were the enemy, they were the others, right? And I was talking with one of my friends about where was he, how did he find out? And he's, um, his wife is Japanese American. And, um, and he said his father-in-law called and said, we're at war. That's what he said. That's how his, his father-in-law had heard it. And his father-in-law had been in America during World War II. And so for him, he was really threatened by war because he'd been displaced during the war. 
and put in camps here in, in America because he was Japanese American and American was afraid of Jap Japan and therefore afraid of Americans who were Japan, Japanese uh, origin at that time. <clears throat> and, and um, you know, so the, one of the pieces that I get from 9-11 is when we're scared, we tend to other the enemy. They're the other, they're the bad person, they're the wrong person, they're the person we have to do something about. And the scared might not be from military threat, like during coronavirus, right, which we've all been dealing with for the past year and a half, all of a sudden Asian Americans became othered because one of the presidents said it's because of the Chinese and the Chinese did it. They created it, they made it. Right, And so all of a sudden people were othering Asian Americans in a way that hadn't happened in the same way probably since World War II. And of course, 9-11 changed our world because we were threatened and we went on the attack. And that's when we got involved in the war in Afghanistan, which has just ended for America 20 years later because of what happened on 9-11. And so 9-11 instilled a lot of fear in us, and I believe in, in all of us, even the people who said we're not afraid or, or that's not their experience. But, but even the, again, like I said before, when you're threatened, you either flee or freeze or you fight. And that's what America did out of its fear. And 9-11 scared us. We'd never been attacked, you know, in my lifetime, right, since I was born, there'd been no attack on American soil. And uh, it was shocking, actually. <clears throat> and it is often shocking, shocking, when we experience our vulnerability as human beings, even though we know we're vulnerable, like just being in bodies like this and that they get sick and they age and they die and that's all normal, we still get afraid or anxious or have a reaction to our vulnerability. And so one of the questions you might consider is about how did you deal with your fear after 9-11 happened? What did you do to assuage your fear? And what do you do to assuage your fear now when you're afraid of something, of somebody or something or some situation? And then, of course, there's also the collective anxiety these days about climate change or about politicians who are fascistic and that we've had to live with for a while in this country. Probably the most fascistic uh, president we've had in a long time. And that kind of insecurity that we may feel is part of what happens. And so as I was looking around, I, did, I looked up a bunch of uh, things that Buddhist teachers said right after 9-11. And, uh, and 
this was from Jack Cornfield. He said, insecurity, uh, the insecurity that comes naturally from the terrorist attacks and the media frenzy that has followed them touches our deepest fears. The truth is that life is insecure and always has been. So independent of what, and has, always has been independent of what happened at the World Trade Center. When people ask me about their fears, I remind them to breathe. I remind them to touch the place within that is timeless and compassionate, that can hold all the vents of all time. And of course, that's what practice offers us, the possible to be here with whatever is happening, even when it's scary or difficult, or we don't like it, or we don't want it. And Buddhism in general always looks at the causes and conditions, the causes and conditions. What happened, why? How did it happen? What are the causes and conditions that make something like 9-11 happen? And I mentioned some of it already about what, what I said about um, Osama bin Laden and his reaction. Let's see, I have one other thing. I don't think I printed it out because I, I, um, uh, I'm having computer problems. But, uh, but the same principle is true about 9-11, about why it happened and what happened and when it happened. <clears throat> and so for us, the, the question is, um, to look at the own, our own causes and conditions when we're scared or when we act or when we attack someone else or when someone else is attacking us. And I don't mean militaristically, but even verbally, you know, or in some way scares us, right? Or we, we we're angry at someone. Are we aware of the causes and conditions do we try to understand the causes and conditions that have brought it about instead of just to act on our anger or our fear? And if someone attacks you in some way, are you aware of the intention or the motivation? One of my friends today, I was talking with him about it and he said, oh yeah, he was, he was out driving. He was had to drive his daughter to the airport, and he was he was anxious about it. It was early in the morning. He had a bad night's sleep, and his daughter's going back to college, and and uh, and so he was yelling at other drivers and angry at them. And he said he wasn't at all paying attention to the fact that he was having a hard time, and that's why he was yelling not because they were actually doing anything wrong. They just weren't getting out of his way, right? So he couldn't relax. <clears throat> and in practice, we're always looking for the bigger picture. What, what, what's here, what happened, and how are we dealing with it in the moment? Because this is the only moment there is, is now when we're angry or when we're scared. 
And of course, you know all of this, which is what's happening in your body, what's happening in your mind, what's happening in your heart when you're scared, or what happens in your body, mind, or heart when you're angry, right? Do you really let yourself feel the energetic reality instead of just acting on it? Because the energy may not be bad, but we don't like the energy, so we act on it, or we think we have to act on it. And are you paying attention to causes and conditions for what might set off your fear or anger, whether it's in your relationships or work or your activities? <clears throat> and one of the things I remember this after 9-11, I thought practice and, and sangha was so important. It was just, it seemed like the only sensible thing at first was to practice. And, and it still may be one of the most sensible things to do because then from our, from our presence, from our being here, from our being awake, we may be able to respond more skillfully to our life when it's difficult. <clears throat> this is from the Dalai Lama. He says, our first task is to make our heart a zone of peace instead of becoming entangled in a embattled bitterness or cynicism that exists externally. We need to begin to heal those qualities within ourselves. We have to face our own suffering, our own fear, and transform them into compassion. And of course, the Buddha said a great thing. He said, in a battle, the winners and losers both lose. The winners and losers both lose. And of course, that's, that's so profound, the Dharma, what he's saying. <clears throat> And this is not from the Buddha, it's from Albert Camus, French writer. He said, we all carry within us our places of exile, our crimes, our ravages. Our task is not to unleash them on the world, it is to transform them within ourselves." <clears throat> And it was interesting when I read about what other Buddhas said afterwards, I saw a couple that I thought I would read to you. One, of, one is from Joseph Goldstein, my friend, teacher, colleague. He said, right after 9-11, he said, I don't feel like I have anything transcendental. I don't feel like I have any transcendental understanding, just my own fumbling with it which is a beautiful, honest thing to say, which many of us did, right? He said, but it seems to me we must respond, uh, but it seems to me we must respond that, that there's a danger to people, and so we need to act. So some act of protection is totally appropriate. How to balance that without creating more violence, that's the real koan. And of course, a Koan is a Buddhist story that's not easy to figure out. Right? It seems to me we must respond uh, as so that 
this real danger to, to this real danger to people and and so some act of protection is totally appropriate how to balance that without creating more violence that's a real koan and this is from a zen teacher john dode lori um, he emphasized the need to look for alternatives to violence and he talked about jesse jackson's proposed mediation mission bombing afghanistan with food and long-term methods of getting to the root of suffering and he was asked whether the country should act against the terrorists and he is unequivocal and he said most certainly but the degree of response and the motivation will count very, very highly in what kind of karma we're going to create. And then the last thing I'll read is just a quote from the Buddha about the kind of suffering that humans create for ourselves and for one another. And uh, the Buddha said, your worst enemy cannot harm you as much as your own thoughts unguarded. Your worst enemy cannot harm you as much as your own thoughts unguarded. And once mastered, no one cannot help you as much. And once mastered, no one cannot help you as much, even a beloved mother or father. And so he's really pointing at our minds is where the suffering is. So there's a few thoughts about 9-11 then, now, and I would love to hear from you any thoughts you have about 9-11 or the suffering of attack, of attacking others, of being attacked by others, even of attacking oneself or, or the different components of what arises, whether it's sadness or anger or fear or disorientation, which like Joseph said, he, was, he wasn't clear at all, right? Right, he said he was just fumbling through it. So please raise your hand if you would like to speak, if you have a question or a comment. And I'm happy to hear from anybody. And usually the hands are under the reactions button on my computer now. If you press the reactions button, it'll be a raised hand button to click. And Francisco and Karen have raised one of their hands. Hi. Karen. Hi, Hi Karen. Hold up. Hold on, let me switch to speaker view. I so I have a okay. few few kind of I don't know island memories from that time. Um, Wait, pause a second. I'm going to yes. try one yes. thing. Excuse okay. Me. Oh my God! Now my computer's working right. I can't believe how crazy making that is. Go ahead. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, I can't see you. I see like I don't know the. Oh, you can't see me. Now I see. Oh, I that's see so weird. I like see the edge yeah, of a no, table. No. I don't know what I see. Yeah. 
now now you're seeing you're yeah, seeing, now i see you yeah now no i that's yeah it's just screwed up my computer so my screen my big screen is not working uh, so i have so i was but but all of a sudden all this stuff showed up on the big screen and it was you so i thought oh then i could see myself but no it won't it won't see me technology yeah. duka pardon technology technology duka, duka. Yeah. yeah yeah yes okay so go ahead okay. so um there's a bunch of things. I mean, I'll just say very quickly that my my introduction, I wasn't a practicing Buddhist. I didn't know much about Buddhism at the time. Um, I mean, I had some tools, I guess, some skills, but um, my first introduction to Thich Nhat Hanh was then, and just hearing, he, he gave a speech and I heard it on, probably on KPFA, but I was driving, I remember listening to it. And it was, you know, was it some time after, but not long after, and he was making this very clear case against invading, I don't remember if it was Afghanistan or, or Iraq, but just this very clear case for a, yeah. a peaceful response. So that, that's one memory. Um, that, that's, that week, I had a run-in one, with one of my colleagues, and it was a sort of back and forth, and I was very upset. And he, you know, he was kind of hard to work with. but. Um, I went back to my desk and I thought about it for a while and I I felt that I had to apologize to him. I mean, because I felt that my strong reaction was really not about what we were arguing about, but that both of us were so um, raw, I suppose, that that anything brought up a lot of a lot of emotion that wasn't it wasn't about that. It was about our, our maybe our, our feeling of real vulnerability and I guess fear and, and anger. Yeah. Um, so that was like that was kind. Of, that was a bit of a revelation for me to. So it's, it's beautiful what you're saying because you're saying how you saw the bigger picture, and and you saw the causes and conditions. Yeah. For what was happening, and I believe many of us have seen that during COVID-19 yeah. and what happened. Because we see uh, some people and maybe some of us uh, like are not very patient about driving these days, right? Mm -hmm. Or running, right? Or people are, you see people are not relaxed. Yeah. And, you know, and they're, and they're just, you know, or even, I mean, I could say it as simply as, the toilet paper run, right? Remember that? <laughs> yes, right? I do very well. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and it was like people get scared, and it comes yeah. out in all these odd ways, right? And yeah, and fear yeah, of not having enough, and and then the other thing that happened, one of the other things that happened at that time that was really beautiful um, was I was at that time I lived in the East Bay, and I would driving in and it was before um fast pass so you drive and you pay some money um <laughs> and for a period for some reason i would go to this booth and it was always this the same man and it was again right in that time right after and he i think he was from he was from an african country maybe nigeria um 
but I drove up, I gave him my money and he said, I love you. Mm. And this happened several times. And I said, I love you too. And it was, um, mm -hmm. you know, it was again, such a difficult time. And for somebody, this total stranger from another country to just say that yeah. to me. And, and I imagine he said it to everybody, but it was mm. so beautiful um, yeah. and healing really in a way. It was, and it was, it felt like an antidote to everything that was going on around us, you know, this rush to revenge. And here was this man just freely saying, I love you. Yeah. It was lovely. Yeah. Beautiful. beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for that. Yeah. Thank you. I'm thanking you for everybody that you put that in the, really, no, it's just beautiful. And it's, and it's true. It's something that happens when we're aware of our vulnerability is we can get more real. We don't have to get reactive, yeah. right? We can actually be more real, like what's important. I mean, somewhere yeah. in my notes, I had a whole line, like what really matters, right? Is something that happened from 9-11. Because, you know, all civilizations rise and fall, right? Monarchies rise and fall, you know, uh, and so the United States may rise and fall, who knows? Yeah. But there's something more to what it is to be alive than just, you know, revenge, right? And the, the beauty of the love, which is more important than anything. Yeah, yeah. great, thank you. Thank you. Okay, Michael. You're up. There we go. Hi, Eugene. Hi. Um, thanks for the talk. Obviously timely. Um, a couple things come to mind. The day of, I got a call. It was five in the morning here in San Francisco, and my then mother-in-law was in New Orleans and had called us and as you indicated just first reaction just utter shock I, I i honestly remember thinking this is fake or something you know it was five in the morning and i i i wasn't quite awake and alert and just watching the tv and what was going on i i just like was struggling to understand is this reality and the awfulness um a second thing that comes to my mind is my son was all of about nine months old so he was in the crib and and I, I, and today I talked to him you know he's back east away at college and he's 20 and for his entire life, we've been in this war in Afghanistan. His, his entire life, longest war in the history of our country. Yes. And, and we saw a very unfortunate ending of that in just the last week or two. And it's probably not even quite over yet. And I was struck by your comment on one of the quotes, the level of action, one of your quotes said that we were going to take would be impactful to the karma 
resulting from that. And last week, and I would commend it to the Sangha, if you haven't seen it, Public Television Frontline, which is an investigative report that they do, um, put out a new documentary on, on from 9-11 to two weeks ago when we were evacuating Afghanistan. And we lost terribly that Osama bin Laden talking, you know, we went into Afghanistan to kill him and to assassinate him. Mm-hmm. And it, it took over a decade to finally find him. And we actually battled and fought the then government. The Taliban was in power in Afghanistan when the attack happened and they gave sanctuary to Osama bin Laden's, you know, Al-Qaeda's group. Mm-hmm. And then talking about the level of response, I mean, nearly a trillion dollars, 3000 American dead. Mm-hmm. And we lost two, two weeks ago, the Taliban are, are back and in a week took back over the country. And it, it just brings tremendous sadness. Mm-hmm. And, and my son, who's 20, is, is kind of numb to the idea of the U.S. at war because that's all he has ever known. Got it. Got it. And Got I just it. wanted to share that and thank you for, you know, sure. bringing it up in any way. Yeah, no, thank you. And thank you for the personal part that you're talking about, about your family and your son and his life, uh, because it's all impacted us in different ways. And it is totally sad what happened, both 9-11 itself and the people who were murdered in in the World Trade Towers. And, yes. But, but also the whole 20 years of war and I mean, just on and on. And it's, and what did we get out of it? Exactly. That that's the hard part to just justify any of it. And lastly, I have friends who live in the New York city area and they were, I have a, a, a friend, a woman friend whose three brothers were killed in one of the towers. They were mm-hmm. traders, bond traders at Cantor Fitzgerald, which was at the top of one of them. And like their offices were just decimated. Yeah, right. And her, the town, you know, um, Bronxville or a, a northern part of the Bronx, just it was a lot of commuting type of Wall Street people that the, the, the town, many members of the church was just devastated, mm-hmm. just right. many sure. deaths. And um, so there are all co- parts and components of this that have just been horrific. And I hope, God willing, we learn something from it all. I don't know. Well. Uh, the learning also starts now, right? Like how we react personally in our lives and in our world. It's up to us. We have to do the best we can and, and act appropriately. 
individually. Yeah, absolutely. Thank and, you. And collectively, both. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Thank you. Cool. Okay. Mark. Thank you, Eugene. Yourself. Can you hear me? Yeah. Okay. Uh, it just occurred to me that a couple of parallels here between 9-11 and what my I did personally experience in 2016 and for four years thereafter, the uh, sensations of fear, anger, and, you know, what's to come. And um, in both situations, you know, amongst the fear and anger and hatred and violence, there's also, uh, I remember back in 9-11, the following week on how there's was a lot of softness coming out of people and caring and loving and people even being nicer to people on the street that they don't know each other and, and coming together. And I, I saw that in throughout 2016 and through 2020. And uh, so anyway, I, I have some hope that there are things that come out of these tragic events and, yeah. And that it, there is a coming together of people and, and maybe yeah. at some no, point it, I'll lead to peace. Pardon? Maybe at some point this will all lead to peace forever. Well, but you're, you're pointing to something else about this kind of tragedy and difficulty is that you can go one way or the other. We can make it worse or we can make it better in the moment. And it's true. And as people, as you're describing how people related to one another after 9-11 and, and the need for, our, for us to live together and work together and care for one another because we're all here together. So, yeah, great. Thank you. Okay, Tomas. Hi, Eugene. Good to see you. Good to be with you. Uh, I got out of college in 1969 and was drafted uh, during the height of the Vietnam War, and I didn't want to go, and I didn't go. Um, and I remember at the time thinking, like, I don't have anything against the people of Vietnam, so why would I want to go over there and fight a war? And um, after 9-11, when the war started in Afghanistan and then Iraq, mm -hmm. I had the same feeling like, <clears throat> you know, this is not what we should be doing. Um, I, I really echo the sadness that you mentioned it the the sadness of 9 11 and the sadness of the the wars in afghanistan and iraq and the destruction uh you know of of all those events i know that um you know what attracts me to the buddha is the the teachings of the buddha is love and compassion and um i was reading the other day that the united states has something like 782 military bases it's actually an unbelievable number when i read that I'm like 
there must be a typo or something, but I've read that a couple times, 782 military bases around the world. And um, it brought to mind what a rich country we are, you know, having fought these wars and having lost and having all these bases. And I myself have been the benefactor of our economy and the, the richness of our country. I, I, and, and so much has been wasted. Uh, and I can only think that these 782 military bases are the result of the, the wealth that we have and that have been generated in our economy. And I, I pray that somehow we can turn this around and see the futility of of our history of wars and that we can, uh, you know, meet each other, the homeless on our streets and those that don't have uh, enough to eat. So it's, it's a, it's a sad lesson. It's an ongoing battle between ignorance and wisdom. And, and, and seeing that we're here together and why can't we take care of everybody and do what's needed so everybody can take care of themselves? And it's, those are really important questions you're bringing forward about the state of the world and how we relate to one another with kindness or not. So thank you. And of course, you also brought in another war, uh, the Vietnam War, uh, which uh, you reminded me of what uh, Muhammad Ali said about, about being drafted and how he wouldn't go fight in Vietnam, right? And he said, uh, no Vietnamese ever call me nigger. And he just, that was not his enemy. And he was really clear about it and he got so much crap for that when in fact it's true his his people you know were enslaved for 400 years you know or starting 400 years ago and that is still coming to the surface here in america right that's still becoming clear about the history of our country thank you Okay, Cody, please unmute yourself. I did, I think. There you do, there you go. <laughs> yeah, uh, two, two comments. One is often when we talk about the American dead, that's how the, the um, uh, media portrays it. Uh, it's it's a tiny bit of the reality <laughs> right. um, in these battles. <laughs> uh, and the other thing I just wait, wanted wait, to wait, see... wait, wait, what do you mean it's a tiny bit? Because there are millions of other casualties. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I wanted to be clear. Yep, that's what yeah. I thought you meant. Yeah, that, that's what I was saying. And the other is that I just recommend to you Thich Nhat Hanh's poem, Rest in Peace, 
mm-hmm. which was written about 9-11. And it's a wonderful, wonderful poem. He takes each of the, you know, I am a, a person in the in the tower and and at the end of it, it's rest in peace. And then I am a, uh, a per- person flying the plane. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. And it's from each vantage, and it's yeah. it's lovely. Um, I have time. it in yeah. my kitchen. So, yeah. thank you. That's all Great. I had to say. <laughs> thank you for that, because Thich Nhat Hanh had been through war and suffered tremendously, right, uh, from both sides, right, both from the attackers and from his home country, because he wouldn't do what they wanted him to do. Yeah, thanks. Okay, Luke, please unmute yourself. Can't hear you. Nope, can't hear you at all. You look like you're unmuted. Huh. Luke, you've disappeared now. Let's see what, going back to gallery view, I don't see Luke. Okay. Luke is also having techno duca like Eugene. Uh, anybody else before we end tonight? I have a question. Okay. <laughs> um, oh, when, there we go, Stephanie. Yeah. When these. When these situations come up, I always think, what is the difference between justice and revenge? Well, what is the difference? I think they blend into each other and it's very dangerous ground. Well, what is justice? Justice is not revenge. No, but I think people get mistaken, get justice mistaken, get re, well, justice mistaken for revenge. Uh-huh. Revenge, yeah, that's right. Yeah, well, ju- what, what, what is justice? Like, you know, if somebody hits you, what's justice? Turn the other way. Well, that's one version of justice. Yeah, that's very Christian justice. Or ask, you know. or ask them, why did you hit me? That's also very, very more Buddhist now about why. <laughs> and, uh, and try to settle between the two of you what was the cause for the hitting. Right, which makes sense. And what would be revenge? Hit back. 
smack them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Flatten them. Yeah, flatten them. Exactly. That's the revenge. You know, and so if somebody does something that hurts us in some way, physically or mentally or emotionally, we feel like we have to get revenge, right? But revenge just means we're hurt. And and we and justice means if there's something inappropriate, how do we stop it? And if needed, have some penalty for it. But the penalty is not revenge. Sometimes I feel as though locking up people in prison for life is revenge. It may be. That's a much bigger question we could go into someday about <laughs> the, the American prison system. Yeah. Right? We have more, we lock up more people in the world than anybody. Right. Yeah. And of course, generally more proportionately more people of color. Right. Yeah. And so these are all components of our history that are in play now. <clears throat> okay, so Luke is back, so I'm gonna- Yeah, I had some computer to... problems, just like you. Okay. Well, yeah. I, I, I just want to say after 9-11. Luke, Luke, I told them you had computer problems like me. That's exactly what I said when you were gone. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Uh, okay. After 9-11, I got a lot of racial threats that I had to deal with uh -huh. for a couple of months, for a couple of months. Uh-huh. It was, it was, it stunk, man. It was really terrible. I'm sure it was. And, and what nationality are you, do you come from? Well, I'm not from the Middle East. I'm Filipino. I was born here in the United States, but right, uh, it yeah. didn't matter. Right. Got it. Yeah. Right. So it's similar to the Asian American or, you know, like all of a sudden they're being targeted because of coronavirus. And Oh, yeah. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Well, thanks for putting that reality into the room. Sure. And, uh, I'm glad you're okay. Thanks. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. Let's see if I can. Now my computer is totally not working again. <laughs> there we go. Luke and I, we both have computer dukkha. Okay, everybody, let's end tonight. We'll do a little sharing of merit. So please close your eyes or keep your eyes open either way. And we'll offer our the merit of our time together that we have the time to study together, practice together, and uh, come together as Sangha and the good fortune that we are not at war right now. And may that good fortune go out in every direction, in every world, in every realm. May all beings be happy and peaceful. May all beings be free from suffering, from dukkha, from misunderstanding, from othering, 
from fear and hatred. May we all be free from fear and hatred. May we all awaken and realize our true nature, our Buddha nature, the nature of wisdom and compassion. May all beings be free. Thank you, everybody. And just a reminder, I'm not here next week. Dawn Scott is here. And I don't think most of you know Dawn Scott. She's one of the newer teachers. She's great. I'm so happy she's going to be here. And I'm going to teach with her later in the year. And I'm gone to Spirit Rock. I'm teaching my first live retreat since COVID-19 at Spirit Rock starting tomorrow. So if you... uh, and I'm totally happy. Spirit Rock is being incredibly safe about all of this. Uh, They have just taught a long retreat, like a three-week retreat. This is just one week, but I'm I'm happy to be in person, not dealing with computer dukkha when I'm teaching. So, and I'll see you in, I believe, in two weeks. Okay, everybody, take good care, be well, stay healthy. See you somewhere.